All right, show of hands, be brave. How many of you have ever taken a selfie before? All right, you know what a selfie is, right? You hold your own camera up and you take a picture of yourself. I read some crazy statistics about selfies um, this week and then I read a clarification on one of the statistics and it blew my mind. It was estimated that 94 million selfies are taken per day across the globe and then what I discovered was that actually only applies to Android phones. So it's probably way more than that. Uh, Hundreds of millions of selfies taken every day. This week I read an article about how to take good selfies. So don't ever say I don't tell you practical things. Uh, Here's how to take good selfies. Among the suggestions, these are all straight from the article. First suggestion, it's all about downplaying your bad points whether it's your ears or your arms or your neck, whatever it is, and smiling is problematic. Smiling might make your cheeks look fat or your eyes squinty. Here's another way to take a good selfie. It says that selfies seem casual, but they're not. So don't try to make it casual. Even beautiful people look bad in some photographs. They're really encouraging. Uh, here's Here's another tip. You need to learn to edit yourself. Just as an art director edits thousands of shots for Vogue, learn to show yourself as you want to be seen, not as you are. Even if your pictures aren't successful, you need lots of them so you can study them. I thought this was interesting. The last piece of advice was that really a selfie is about creating and constructing an illusion. Now, before you um, jump to any conclusions, this was uh, from an article titled A Boomer's Guide to the Perfect Selfie. So apparently we all need instructions on how to take a good selfie. We know that image matters in our world today. We know that people care about what they look like. But my question for us this morning as we get started is how much does image matter to you? And I don't really mean like how much does your appearance matter to the way that you perceive yourself in the world. What I really mean, what I'm really asking is, how much does your self-image, your perception of, of who you are, shape the way you act in the world? There's a pastor and author named Paul David Tripp. Uh, he's fantastic, but Paul Tripp has this saying, he says over and over again, he says, the most important conversation that we have every day is the conversation that we have with ourselves that the most influential person in our lives is ourself because we're constantly talking to ourselves every day about who we are and how we interpret the world and what we've come to do. You know, today's passage is all about the image that we see that shapes our behavior, what we look at and how it shapes how we live. So we're going to be in James 1. If you brought your Bible with you or you want to look it up on your phone, that'd be fantastic. We're finishing up uh, the first chapter of James with the final verses in that chapter. And, uh, and as we do so, I just want to remind you who James is, right? James, the brother of Jesus, as is, is Bob's been teaching us, like James is the, is the brother of Jesus who saw him, saw his ministry firsthand, and then finally came to a place after Jesus' death and resurrection where he put his faith and his trust in who Jesus was. And now he's writing to some scattered uh, believers early in the history of the church, and he wants to encourage them in really practical ways. And so we pick up with that encouragement here in verse uh, 22. And so um, let's read together. Here's what the scripture says. This is the word of the Lord. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. God, I do ask um, that you would open our hearts and our minds to, to receive your word this morning. And that we might not just simply be hearers of what you might have for us, but we might be people who live it out. We might be people who take the truth that you've revealed to us and take it into ourselves and let it shape who we are and how we live in the world. God, would you do that faithful work in us this morning for the glory of your Son? Amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna to dig into this passage by just looking at three things. We're going to look at the command that's given. We're going to look at the contrast that's played out. And then we're going to look at the Christ that it points to. So we're going to look at the command, the contrast, and the Christ. Let's start with this command. You see it right there in the very first verse, verse 22. James tell us, tells us, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Here's what the scripture is telling us. It's telling us, that there is a phenomena of people hearing, encountering, even reading God's word, and yet they might never respond to what it says. They might never make a change in relation to it. They might never allow their decision-making to be affected by it. And it's not a new phenomenon. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament prophets were all over this, right? They were very concerned that people had a knowledge of who God was, but that they weren't living out his commands in the world. As a matter of fact, if you could sum up the Old Testament prophets, kind of their main idea, their main, uh, their main communication to God's people was just this, do what you know God wants you to do or there's going to be trouble, right? That was the prophetic word, like live out what you've been told, we also know that the New Testament authors, they continue with this command. They continue to pull on this thread and, and pick up this theme. And so you have consistently throughout the New Testament books, the, 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 the New Testament authors, God telling his people, hey, live out this, this calling that you've received. Like put into practice, work out your faith. Do these things that God has called you to do and make it real in the world. And so you have people like John who are writing and they say, hey, look, if you say that you know Christ, if you say that you've heard him and you know him, but you don't do what he commands, you're lying, right? And so, so the, 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 the call again to not just be hearing what God says, to know what God says, but then to live it out is right there. Most importantly, it reaches its, uh, its high point in the teaching and ministry of Jesus. Do you guys remember Jesus uh, in the upper room and he's washing his disciples' feet? And he's teaching them about servanthood, right? And so he's saying, look, as I have done for you, you need to do for each other. Like a servant isn't greater than his master, Jesus says. And so he has this really specific teaching for his disciples. And, and as he finishes up um, washing their feet, he says, he says in John 13, 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus, the prophets, the, the New Testament authors are all picking up on this idea that we have to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of it. Bob mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago as we looked at that really important passage in the Sermon of the, uh, on the Mount, right? So Jesus goes up on a mountainside and he's followed by the crowds and he sits down and his disciples come to him and he begins to teach them. And at the very end of that sermon, at the very end of the teaching, Jesus famously says this, what? He says, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish person who built their house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind beat at that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. There's a repeated warning all over scripture, over and over and over again. Don't just listen to God. Do what he says. I got to thinking this week, why, why is with such frequency? Why does this come up over and over again? Why, why does God feel the need to tell us this over and over and over again? And I think there's a couple reasons. Clearly, God knows this will be a struggle for his people. Right, clearly translating the knowledge of what God has said into concrete actions in our life is going to be difficult for us. And so we're going to need the reminder. And in a way, I think it's important for us to see that because this command comes over and over again, that the danger for each one of us is universal. It's a danger that applies to me and to you. Let's be honest. Many of us have broken this command, not just to be hearers, but doers. I wanna say all, but I love you too much to lump everyone into all, so I'm just gonna say many of us. We've all sat in a sermon, and we've been convicted about our behavior, and then we've left on a Sunday morning as if we never heard the words that were preached to us. We can walk out the door and we can forget exactly what we heard, even if we thought those words applied to us, even when we've been sitting in a Bible study, even when we've been sitting in a sermon, even when we've been sitting in a message and say, wow, I really think God had something to say to me on that. And then we walk out the doors of the church and we may never even think about it again. This is the danger for all of us. And we've all read things like turn the other cheek or love your enemies or honor your father and your mother or do not worry. And we've thought to ourselves, surely, surely God does not mean to turn the other cheek after I've been punched in the face. Surely, surely God does not mean to love my enemies when my enemies are my political enemies and they want that one guy to win the election and they're gonna destroy my country. Surely that's not who God wants me to love. Surely, when God said, honor your father and your mother, he doesn't mean after my mom asked me for the hundredth time to do the dishes and I told her I would get around to it. Surely, surely God doesn't mean don't worry when the whole world is crumbling around me and I just don't know what to do. We've all heard God's words and we have all neglected to put them into practice. We know also that doing God's word sometimes, maybe oftentimes, is hard. It's difficult, it's consequential, it's sacrificial. 
And because it is difficult, we're in danger of becoming people who read God's word regularly, who attend church faithfully, who hear sermons, who do devotionals, who share Bible verses on our social media, and yet rarely, if ever, make concrete changes in our lives that will help us move from being hearers to doers. But this is the command. And so God gives, or so James gives us a contrast to help us. If the command is don't just be a hearer but be a doer, we're going to look at the contrast that, that James gives us. And so the first is the one we've already teased out, that there's a contrast between people who might hear the word of God and the people who hear the word of God and then do it. So look back down at verse 22. He gives us a metaphor to help us um, actually do verse 23. Here's what the scripture says. It says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the next part of the contrast here is between hearing and forgetting and hearing and remembering. Listening to truth is not an end in itself any more than gazing at your face in the mirror is an end in itself. The purpose of listening to truth is to act upon it, just like looking in a mirror, is the purpose of that is to act on it. And so why do we look in a mirror? Does my hair look okay? Is my face put together? Do my shoes go with this outfit, (laughs) right? We look in a mirror to discover things we need to fix, to to discover things that need to be addressed. We don't look in a mirror to admire ourselves. I mean, maybe some people do, but that's a little weird. We look in a mirror to say what needs to be fixed and how can we fix it? Same reason we come and hear God's word. But did you notice how many times James tells us twice, he says, look, the problem is that you hear and you forget. And forgetting and remembering is a massive idea in, the, in God's word. And, and some of you are freaking out right now because you're like, I forget things all the time and I have a hard time remembering, right? That's not really what God is talking about. It isn't about the recall of facts. Like remembering and forgetting has everything to do with acting in relationship to to someone that you know or a promise that you've made. And so we're told repeatedly that God remembers certain things, but it's not like God forgets anything, he's God. But he remembers it, so he acts uh, in accordance with it. And so we're told that God remembers Noah when he's in the ark and he causes the waters to recede. Or we're told that God remembers Abraham and so he acts to protect his family. Or we're told that God remembers Rachel and, and allows her to have a child. Or that God remembers his covenant to his people and works to set them free from Egypt. Remembering is always about acting in regard to a promise or a, a relationship. And so when we're, we're warned against forgetting, we're, we're warned against inaction. To remember God's teaching is to contemplate those teachings in such a way that they'll make a lasting impression on our hearts and our minds. But also notice the contrast of results. The only hearer deceives themselves, verse 22 says. But the hearer-doer is blessed. And it's she who practices pure, undefiled religion. You see what it said? It said that we run the danger of being deceived. One commentator put it like this. He said to be deceived is to be blinded to the reality of one's true religious state. 
People can think they're right. They can think they've got it together with God, but they really are not. And so it is for people who hear the word, regular church attenders, seminary students, seminary professors, people who read their devotional every day and those who teach Sunday school, but they could be hearers and not doing what God's word said. They're mistaken in thinking they are truly right with God. How many of you guys get instantly irritated when you think you're being deceived? When someone's hiding the truth from you, when someone is manipulating you to a certain end, and now imagine that James is telling us that to be a hearer instead of, instead of a hearer and doer is to deceive yourself. Friends, as your sister in Christ and as your pastor, I want us all to pay attention to what the scripture is telling us here. It's warning us that we have the potential to deceive ourselves and to keep the truth from ourselves about our true spiritual condition. Helpfully, James gives us three quick tests uh, that will allow us to think about, am I deceiving myself? Am Am I putting on a show? You know, the first test is there in verse 26 where James asks us to consider this. Do we control our speech? Have we bridled our tongue? And if we aren't able to control our speech in terms of what we say and how we say it and with what tone and intent we speak, it may be a good sign that we're deceiving ourselves about our true spiritual health. He gives another um, indication in verse 27. He says, here's another thing. He says, uh, visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You know, our actions in regard to the, to the most needy around us, the most outcast, the most socially disadvantaged, the way that we advocate for them. Do you hear what he says? He says, visit them in their affliction. The way that we relate to them, the way we advocate for them, the way that we interact with the people of greatest need around us is a good indicator of where we are spiritually. The final indicator he gives is interesting. He says, keep oneself unstained from the world. In the Bible, the world is is a way to sum up all of the systems and the culture that are opposed to God and his kingdom. And so are we being shaped by the world or are we being shaped by God? These three, our speech, our compassion for the disadvantaged, and social outcasts and our our abstention from worldly evil are themes to which James is going to return again and again and again throughout this book. And they're not exhaustive, right? These aren't exhaustive of what it means to be a follower of God, but they are great litmus tests. Faithfully doing God's word is more than these three things, but it's not less. And so if we think we're honoring God, but merely hear his word and forget it, and they go speak as we desire, ignore the poor and needy, and comply with the world's values and systems, the warning is clear for us. We are not living as God would have us to live. And so we become the selfie takers at our opening this morning. And we become people who carefully coordinate an image of ourselves that appears beautiful, but is actually a deception. And our religious efforts become an act that's perfectly calibrated to present an image that does not accurately reflect reality. And so the contrast is this. Self-deceptive religious practice that simply consumes God's word versus perseverant interaction with the truth of God that produces faithful living in speech, conduct, and thought.
If you're like me, this may be a little overwhelming. If you've been tracking, you may feel the weight of it. Maybe some guilt. Maybe you checked out 10 minutes ago and you're checking back in right now and you feel doubly guilty. Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel like you've tried and you've tried and you've tried to live into the truth of God's word, but it's still a struggle for you. You know, that, that feeling of heaviness, that feeling of knowing that we fall short of what God wants for us um, is, is hard, and it's not necessarily the main feeling that James wants to produce here. As a matter of fact, to understand what James wants to produce, we need to look at what he says we are to hear and what we are to do and what we're to look into. Did you see in verses 22 and 23 and 25, we have these things that go together. We're told that we should hear the word, we're told that we should do the word, and we're told that we should look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and all three of those things go together as equivalencies in this passage. And so we get to the thing that we look into, we get to the thing that God is pointing to, and it's Jesus, right? We know that the word of God is about pointing to who Jesus is. You know, broadly we think about it as the scripture, but in particular we think about it as what the scripture is saying about who Jesus is and what he's done. So James tells us that we have to be hearers and doers and lookers, perseverant lookers into the word of God that teaches us about Jesus. There's a fantastic book for kids, but I really recommend it for adults too. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible by a woman named Sally Lloyd-Jones, and it's a great way, like if you have kids in your life, um, your kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or whatever, I really encourage this book because it takes the stories of the Bible and shows how they point to Jesus. But in the, the beginning of her book, Sally Lloyd-Jones says this, she says, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace and is thrown everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby, and every story in the Bible whispers his name. When God says, be doers of the word, when God says, put it into practice, when James says, don't just be hearers, be doers, when, when, the, when the authors repeatedly say, hear what God is saying and live it out, what they are talking about is the story of the Bible, the story of who God is. It's not just commands and rules and, and things that we have to do. When we're talking about the law of liberty, what sets us free in this world, when, when he's talking about the very word of God, is, as earlier in the chapter, he says that it's the word of truth that's been implanted in us. We see this, that the word of God is just Jesus Christ, the son of God, God himself, who lived a perfect human life. And he, an innocent man, was condemned to death. And that death he died on the cross, he died in our place, taking on himself our sin and the wrath that our sin deserved, that we might be reconciled to God. And he did this, friends, he did this because he loved us. And he loves us and he values us so much he can't imagine an eternity without us. 
And so to bring the greatest glory to himself and, to, and for God to show his vindication, Christ was raised from the dead and we have been brought into his kingdom. And we don't do anything to earn it. We haven't done anything to make ourselves right with God except we say back to him, Lord, accept me for Jesus' sake. And there we have it. Through no act of our own, we're declared righteous and right with God forever. What is the word that we look into? What is, what is the word that we do? It's the gospel of Jesus. We don't keep our speech clear and we don't care for the widows and the, the needy or, or leave ourselves unstained from the world simply because those are rules that we keep. We do those things because we are gospel people. Because we understand the love that God has for us and the way that he's rescued us. See, when we look into the gospel of Jesus, it's telling us what's true about ourselves. More than any mirror, more than any selfie could say, when we look into the gospel of Jesus, what we see about ourselves is this. We are far worse than we could have ever imagined. We can't do anything to rescue ourselves. We're dirty and we're sinful and we've hurt the heart of God by our choice and by habit and since our birth. But when we look and when we hear the word of God, we hear this as well. We are so much more loved than we ever dared dream. God himself gave everything. His very life he laid down. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that we would be with him forever because you are so valuable to him. This is the gospel that we do. This is what we hear when we come to this place on a Sunday morning. Not more rules to keep, not more tips for being a better person. We come to this place and hear this truth so that we can be reminded one more time of the great love that God has for us and our desperate need for him. That's the truth that will change us. Can't have a, an idea about religion that it's constantly just try harder, be better, prove yourself worthy. That's not what we do here. We come as a needy people, needing to see ourselves in light of the gospel. I've realized over and over again that pure moral muscle will never move us from being a hearer of God's word to a doer of it. You and I won't decide one day, we won't wake up in the morning and be like, today I'm going to be a Christian I always wanted to be. You know, we can sit in a sermon like today's and we can feel condemnation and failure and embarrassment because we realize we haven't been able to work ourselves into being the kind of Christian we think that we need to be. We haven't been able to follow all those rules we think that we're supposed to follow. But the truth is that when we look at the gospel, when we look at the word of God into the law of liberty, what we see is we don't have to try. We're already loved, desperately valued by the king. Or maybe you're the person today hearing the sermon and, and you think, you know what, Joss, I'm really not doing too bad. I get all this. Uh, I, could, I could tell you the gospel if you ask me and I volunteer uh, when I need to and I give money to the church and look, if you knew all the things that I don't say that I wanted to say, you would know that I control my tongue. And we think we've got it together. But the gospel tells us something different. It actually tells us that we don't work to earn our favor with God. That it is God himself, it is our love for God that produces right behavior 
in right relationship. And so you and I are simultaneously so much more broken than we know and so much more loved than we imagine. And that is what shapes our lives. To hear that, to know that, and then to do that. When I was in my early 20s, do you guys remember this time in your life? Uh, in your early 20s when you're, you're the first set of your friends starts getting married and having kids? Uh, the first set of my friends started getting married and having kids, and, and I remember like the first kind of kid that came into our friend group, it was right after his first birthday, and I sat down with uh, my friend, and hey, how's it going? He said, he told the story, he said, I had the wor worst night last night. I said, what happened? He said, well, his wife had been away with her friends, and so he had been watching their son, no problem. He had put him down to sleep, was going about his own business, and he said, and then I smelled it. I said, you smelled it? He said, I smelled it. He said, and then I walked into his room and I smelled it even more. <laughs> he said, I, I knew it was possible to fill a diaper. I didn't know it was possible to fill footy pajamas. And, and he's instantly revolted. That, like, if, like this, he just could not, he did not handle these kinds of things well, right? And so I, well, what did you do? He says, well, I, I reached, I didn't know what to do, so I reached to get him and I, and I grabbed him around the midsection and and squish, and so he's totally grossed out, and he picks up his son, and he holds him at arm's length, trying not to throw up, and trying to figure out what he's going to do. Like, what, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. So, so the only thing that he can figure out is he runs across his house uh, into his uh, walk-in shower, and he puts his son in there, and he turns on the water, and he closes the door and steps back. <laughs> Sounds like an okay plan until he sees his son filthy and, and crying and staring at him through the fogged glass of his shower door, alone and miserable and desperate. And so my friend uh, took off his own clothes, opened the shower door, picked up his son and held him close under the water, and washed him clean. Friends, this, this is the gospel. We are that child. We are that child through, through our own decisions and through, through our own making have made ourselves something that we were never meant to be. Messy, broken, alone and afraid. But God loves you and I so much. He picks us up and he holds us close and he washes us clean. That truth will change you. That truth, as you dig into it, as you peer into it, as you stare into who you are, you see a real picture, not a deceptive picture, not a perfectly calibrated idea of yourself, but you see yourself for who you are in desperate need of a savior and loved desperately by him. This is what changes us from hearers to doers. Let's pray. God, I ask that we would be your gospel people in this world. 
that we would be people who in, in, in our encounters with others and in the way that we speak and the way that we live and the way that we think would be increasingly shaped by the knowledge of your gospel, of your perfect law of liberty, of the way that you've set us free from the consequences of our sin by the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, would you keep us from the, from the, the hubris that makes us think we can muscle our way to moral living And instead, would you help us follow obediently the Savior who loves us and who has washed us clean? We ask that in his name and for his glory. Amen.